creation. Well, good morning. We are continuing our series talking about how God sent us into the world. And last week we opened it up uh, just talking about the core teaching of Jesus. The core teaching is, is the great commitment or the great commandment and the great commission that Jesus said Go into all the world and make disciples. That's the great commission. That's what we are to do. But he also said in the great commandment, love God and love your neighbor. That's both the why and the how. What we do is we're sent out to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. Why do we do it? Because we should love God and we should love others. And how do we do it? We should love God and we should love others. So, so that is really the core teaching of Jesus, sums up what Jesus said. And so if we're not involved in those things and we're not involved in those activities, then we're missing out on what God asked us to do. So last week I challenged you, and we just spent a few moments just now just praying. My challenge to you is this, and this is something that I think should go beyond just a a few week series. My challenge to you is this. If you're really serious about the message of Christ, you should always have someone on your prayer list. You should always have someone that you're praying for, not just on an occasional basis, like, oh, I saw somebody, uh, maybe they're traveling, maybe they're in the hospital, whatever. But you should have someone on your prayer list that you're praying for regularly and often. And what we, what we recognize is that when we pray and when we partner with God, God does miraculous things amazing things. I think many times it's us praying for someone specifically opens us up to opportunities for us to partner with God, to, to, to help uh, be a part of the process of what God is already doing. Make no mistake about it. God is at work. God is at work in, in everyone's life. God is, God is at work uh, drawing people to him. And so we don't go and initiate this conversation, what we do is we can partner with God and get on the same page as God and help out, be of assistance, be a word of encouragement, be that person that represents God to somebody else. So so we're talking about being sent and being carried out and going and uh, living out the mission that God called us to do. I don't think it should be something that gives us fear or anxiety or stress. I talked about that a little bit last week, that that has sometimes been my impression, is that it's scary to share your faith. But what we're doing is we're talking about very simple things, very simple things that all of us can do right away, and that is to ask, to admire, and to admit. Last week we talked about ask. That Jesus was the master of asking questions of others, asking people about their life, having open-ended conversations where, where, where the conversation started and it moved to important, significant things. And, and we can do that and we should do that, not just because we're trying to sell something. That's not the point. We should ask people other things because we genuinely love them and care about them and want to know about them. Jesus was the master of asking questions that led to deep spiritual conversations. And today we're going to talk about admire. 
Next week, we're going to talk about admit. Ask, admire, admit. Admire, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit today. And admit next week, we're going to talk about how there's times where we have to say, this is what I've experienced and share that with others. But let's focus on admire today. Ask, admire, admit. So a question that comes to mind, of course, as we think about this conversation is, how much do you really love people? I think that there's times where we throw out this line, you know, this core teaching of Jesus, love God, love others. And we say, yeah, we need to love everybody. We need to love everybody. I remember I had a girlfriend in high school. I won't tell too many stories about my high school girlfriend. However, I had a girlfriend in high school that I remember used to say this. She said, God told us that we have to love people. So I love others, but I just don't like them. And I'm like, I'm like, hang on a second. Uh, I, I, don't, I think I fit into that category at some point in time. But again, we're not going to get into those stories. But there, I, I, was always, I was always taken aback by that statement. Oh, yeah, we're supposed to love others, but I don't like people. It, can, can that be possible? Can it really be possible to say, yes, I have deep love in my heart for you, but I, I, I loathe you. I despise you. I don't like you. I don't want to be around you. I don't want to hang out with you. I don't want to look at you. You just, uh, I don't like you at all. But the love of Jesus is filling my heart. I just think, I think that like that is really, uh, that doesn't seem like an authentic expression of love to say, I love you, but I don't like you. And so there's, there's this tension that, that we have to ask ourselves that, you know, you can just throw out this term and say, of course, love God, love your neighbor. Of course, we need to love people. Of course, we need to do that. But what does that tangibly look like? I think it, it really has to mean something. And if you're insincere with your love, people will see right through that, right? If you're insincere and you just say, yeah, I love you because it's commanded by God. Um, and people just recognize that you just like kind of have a negative, sour approach to, to being around somebody else. Come on. Everyone will see through that. Everyone will. I love uh, working with kids. Uh, and now I work with teens. And, and uh, there is some similarities there. But when... Uh, there is something that is true about kids and teens is if you are not sincere, they will call you out. Adults have figured out in their life how to like keep their mouth shut, but kids don't have that filter. But if you are somebody that like is, if you're in a bad mood, if you have an attitude, if you're on edge, like kids will be like, what's wrong with you today? Um, they'll call you out on that. The reality is, is people see right through you when you say, oh, yes, I love you. Peace be with you. God loves you. God loves you. Oh, I don't like being around that person. People see right through it. And so the question really comes up in our mind is, can you really truly love someone if you don't like someone? And unfortunately, in our time, in our culture, I feel like that many times Christians have gotten the reputation of not really liking people. Not really liking people a lot because, because Christians have gotten the reputation of looking at the world and seeing all the bad, which there's lots of bad, right? 
and looking at the world and almost being exasperated and highly critical and looking around and saying, we don't like the world. We don't like this world as it is. We don't like all the things that are going on in this world. There's all these uh, agendas. There's all of these worldviews that are contradictory to God. And so we don't like it. There's some truth to that. There's absolutely uh, things that are negative. There's things that are sinful. There's things that are contradictory to God's nature that we should not in any ways like or love. There's no question about that. However... If that bleeds over into interpersonal relationships, that's a problem. It's a problem if we look at society and we look at the sin in the world and then all of a sudden we start turning our ire or criticism or our just plain out don't like people towards individuals that we're interacting with on a daily basis. That is a problem. And there is no chance that you can have influence. There's no chance you can help somebody. There's no chance that you can be an ambassador for God and help someone find hope and peace if you just don't like them. There's just no chance. It's not going to work. And so as we, we think about this, uh, we, these incredible words, go into all the nations, proclaim the gospel, make disciples. How do we do it? We love God, love our neighbors. Why do we do it? We love God and we love our neighbors. We have to really ask the question, do we have it in us to admire attributes about other people? Do we have that within us? And that's what we're talking about today. Admire. Doesn't mean we condone sin. It doesn't mean that we're happy with uh, everything in the world. Doesn't mean that we like approve of everything in everyone else. But it does mean that we recognize human beings are created in the image of God and they have intrinsic infinite worth that we can admire about them. And they all, everyone has God-given talents, abilities, and attributes that can be redeemed for God's kingdom in an incredible way. It's a hopeful view of other people. Of course, we recognize and know that not all of those attributes are always at play. We also recognize and know that not all of those things are at full capacity, but we believe and hope and admire what God has created. There's these viral videos that are out there. They're kind of cool. Uh, I've come across them a few times on YouTube that the, uh, the whole channel is uh, People Are Awesome. That's the, the name of the channel. They have like millions of followers and they post videos just showing unbelievable talents that are almost unthinkable that human beings have. I want you to get a little taste of this. The second image here is actually me in my basement. So uh, just take a look. Take a look right here. People are awesome.
Okay, you got edited out the, the image that I was going to show you there. But hey, give a hand to those people. Uh, I feel like um, the legal counsel at Church of the Creek would uh, recommend that I say, do not attempt these things at home, okay? Do not attempt that at home. Don't. Okay, kids, no jumping off roofs. Got it? But it's, I, I love those videos. You watch the highlights. You see some of those things, and you're like, how in the world? Can somebody do those things? There are so many talents, abilities, gifts that God has given human beings. God created people and wanted people to exist. God created the universe and gave human beings a unique uh, attribute created in the image of God. And there's gifts, talents, abilities that is in every single one of us. People are awesome. People really are awesome. So the question is, is how do we look at others? How do we personally look at others when we're interacting with them? Uh, We see in scripture that Jesus sees something in people that oftentimes others miss. He, He always, like, he saw these attributes that maybe were tucked away or hidden or, or weren't uh, active, dormant attributes, and he pulled it out of people. He, he had this interaction with the woman at the well that had all these broken relationships, and he saw something in her, and she became an incredible witness to, um, to the Samaritans. Unbelievable. He saw that when other people didn't. He saw in Matthew a tax collector Someone that could be one of his inner circle disciples, somebody that was probably hated by society and his fellow Jewish people because of what he did for a living, collecting taxes. Jesus walked by a tax booth, saw something in him and called him to something different. He did the same thing with Zacchaeus, another tax collector that seemed like he was an outcast in society and was hated. And he said, I'm going to come and eat with you. He saw in Peter, the disciple that was just kind of reckless sometimes, always put his foot in his mouth, always did things that were, they were a little bit on the edge, borderline, and he saw something in him. And he really became the, the leader of the disciples and the message after Jesus left earth. He saw something in the the thief of the cross that I made reference to last week. The thief on the cross next to him that said, remember me, criminal, dying for his crimes. Saw something in him in his last moments on earth. He saw something in Philip and Nathaniel in John chapter 1, who were two disciples that he called. And they were skeptical of Jesus right away, but he saw something in them. Over and over we see that Jesus looks at people and sees things that everyone else misses. He sees something in them. He sees something that is latent, something that is not fully at, at full capacity. And he, he, he brings that out and says, there's something there that can be used for incredible purposes. Incredible things. So I think we can learn a lot from that. What do you see when you look at others? What do you see? An annoyance? Somebody that is, you know, oh, 
a bother, a problem? Or do you see something that others maybe don't see? Is it possible in life that, you know, the whole world has just kind of, there's a segment of the population, the whole world is discounted and completely just said, you know what? No hope for you. Nothing left that can be done for you. The whole world has done that to certain people in our world. And maybe they've started to believe it. Maybe they've started to believe that they aren't worthwhile, that they're not created in the image of God, that there is no hope. What a shame that would be. So the question is, what do we see when we see other people? I want to read a story in the book of Matthew chapter 8. Matthew 8, and it starts in verse 5. It's another one of these instances where Jesus sees something in someone that other people don't quite grasp or don't quite see. It says this. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the words and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. Tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly, I tell you, I have not found faith, uh, found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of tea. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. This passage is in the book of Matthew chapter 8. There's a, the parallel story in Luke chapter 7 that gives us a few other details where we recognize in Luke chapter 7 that what's taking place is this conversation is happening between an intermediary. There's, uh, uh, it's not happening face to face between Jesus and the centurion. The centurion actually sends Jewish leaders and they curry these messages back and forth. It's not, that detail isn't, isn't depicted in the book of Matthew, but it is in the book of Luke. But let's just, just break down what, what is taking place here is that they're having this conversation from afar and, and Jesus, uh, this man is asking for Jesus's help. What do we know about this guy? He's a Roman soldier, a centurion, in charge of uh, around 100 men, a little less than 100 men, centurion. Most of them were in charge of about 80 or so men. And so he's a middle manager, kind of, in the Roman Empire. There's people above him that command more, but he's in command of a whole group of people. There's a significant amount of people that he's in charge of. Um, the Romans, of course, are the typical oppressor of the Jewish people, particularly the soldiers. They'd be the ones that are enforcing things. They would dismiss them. They would, as we see with 
the life of Jesus, some people got out of line. They would crucify him. This is a Roman soldier that really is kind of viewed by most of the Jewish people as the oppressor. And many people are hoping and praying for the Messiah, the promised Messiah to come. And their thought is to overthrow people like this, to get rid of these oppressors so that they would be in charge and they wouldn't have to deal with these problems. But this person seemed like he was well-respected among the Jews because in the account in Luke, it says, you know, it was these Jewish leaders that were passing these messages on. And actually, it was uh, this centurion and maybe other people that helped them build their synagogue in their local area. So this is somebody that got along with the local people and in some ways maybe was helping them out, had enough favor with them in order for them to curry these messages back and forth between Jesus. And he cares about his, his servant, his servant that is laying at home paralyzed and suffering. He has some compassion. So there's, that's what we know about this person. It seems like this is somebody that genuinely has a good heart. Genuinely is wanting to help this person that is suffering under him. Genuinely has got along in some ways with these other, other people that he's ruling over. He's, he's, he's in some ways seems like someone that maybe is reasonable. We've all interacted with different authority figures, some of them reasonable, some of them not. This guy seems like he's in the category of reasonable, would listen to you, would talk to you, cares about others, gets along with people. It's in some ways he's like, he's right there. In some ways he's living out what he should be living. In some ways he's living out the message of Jesus in, in one degree or another, that you should be at peace with one another. You should love your neighbor. In some ways, he's, he's kind of there, but he's not quite there in one way or another. I think there's lots of people in the world like this. I really do. And, and I've interacted with lots of people at different points in time where I would, I would classify them in some ways as like almost Christian. Almost Christian. That they, in many ways, they would look at the world and they'd say, I know, I need to love my neighbor. I need to be honest. I need to be trustworthy. I need to, I need to tell the truth. I need, to, I need to do good, virtuous things because I don't, I don't, I don't want to be a bad person. There's, I think there's more to life. I think there's more to life than this. There's probably something out there. There's mysteries in the universe. There's... There's all kinds of these things. I think there's a lot of people out there like this. They're just like, they want to do the right thing. They're searching, but they're just not quite sure. They're not quite sure. Maybe they're confused about religious people. Maybe they're confused about church people. Like, why do they do such weird things? Why do they like take bread and eat it and say, this is the body of Christ? Weird. Why are you people so weird? Why do you do stuff like that? Why do you like sing old songs like the, like old hymns? Why, why do people wear robes? What's, and man, it's been a lot of things that have happened in the name of God. It doesn't sound like very good things. I think there's a lot of people out there in the world like that that are looking around and are searching and seeking, want to do the right thing, would love to find God. But it's confusing. And it's odd. 
And there's pieces that are missing. And it's, it just seems like, I, I don't know if I can quite buy it all. I'm not quite sure. I think that they're probably open to genuine faith, open to something that would be sincere, open to something that would be real. And really, that is where we come in. That's something that is, that is really a powerful thing, and that what we're talking about is that Jesus gives us an incredible example. Like we talked about last week, he asked people like this all these questions. He asked all kinds of people like this. He's like, tell me a little bit more about yourself. Let me understand. Let's get into this a little bit. But then there's something else here. That Jesus admires this person's faith. Jesus admires where this person is at. There's something that is going on in their heart and life. And Jesus doesn't dismiss it whatsoever. Jesus is like, this is faith. You see this? This person has faith. The interaction is kind of strange. The centurion doesn't, you know, he follows his protocol. He knows what he's used to. There's somebody above him tells him to do something. He does it. And that's it. And then if somebody is under him and he tells them what to do, they do it. And that's how his world works. And he hears about this guy that is healing people. This mystery man that is doing amazing things. And he must be in some way intrigued. And he's like, I need, I need help. I got a servant that's in trouble. So he's like, send somebody to see if we can get a little message back and forth. And Jesus is on his way to come. And he sends a second message and says, you don't know. You don't need to come. You, you don't need to come under my roof. I know you're a busy man. I'm, I want to pay honor to you. Just say the word. I believe that you can do something. And Jesus is just amazed at this guy's faith. He doesn't need a personal invitation. He doesn't need Jesus to show up at his house. He just, in his way, in his protocol, in his world, he's like, nope. You don't need to come to me. You are the one that is above me. Jesus says, that's faith. That's somebody that has faith. You see, there's something else that Jesus says, and there's a, there's a secondary conversation that's taking place. I want to read it again in verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. You understand? Here's what Jesus is saying. He's amazed. He admires. He looks at them and says, this guy has something. He has some genuine faith. This is amazing. And he looks around at the insiders, those people that are religious uh, religiously affiliated with the nation of Israel, those people who have been the gatekeepers in some way to a relationship with God and says, that guy and many others will be at, at the table, at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Many people from the east, from the west, all over will be welcomed at my kingdom. 
Jesus is opening it up and saying there are unique situations where people, outsiders, are coming to faith in Christ, are coming into a relationship with God that does not look like maybe the way that everybody expected it to happen. He's, he's saying, look, look at what is taking place. Look at that faith. That is an expression of faith that is, that is amazing. This is profound. I do believe that we should have an optimistic view. I do believe that we shouldn't, shouldn't have such a closed-minded view of what is going on in the hearts and lives of other people. I do believe that as you look at it in Scripture, you see that there's two different things that Jesus does consistently. One, he does admonish people that seem to be in the inside. And he also admires those who seem to be on the outside. Admonishes those in the club, admires those outside the club. It's an interesting thing. And in some ways, if you think about it, this is a great practical way for us to think about how we should view others in our life is that there's people that have like said, yes, I believe in Jesus. Yes, I know Jesus. I've read the scriptures. Maybe I grew up in this. I was baptized. I have an opportunity to come to a place like this and hear about it on a regular basis. These, this, is, this is a wonderful, great opportunity. And there's people who were people who grew up with this and had, had tons and tons and tons and tons of opportunities. And Jesus consistently challenges them, sometimes admonishes them, pushes them. And then the outsider, the one that is maybe the almost follower, a little bit outside, he admires them. He says, look at their faith. Look at what they're doing. You see, this is something that, that we have to grasp and wrestle with is that the reality is, if we flip that, there's a significant problem. If we sit from the inside and admonish the outside, if we sit from the inside and admonish everybody else from the outside and sit amongst ourselves and admire one another, it's, it, it's really an insidious type of thing. And this is the insidious nature of like, really being overly judgmental that Jesus consistently criticizes in people. If, that you, if you relegate somebody, somebody else, just to what they are presently, and you just say, you know what, that's who you will always be. That is, you're a part of the outside. You are a sinner. You will always be a sinner. And kind of dismiss people and dismiss the possibility of other people gr growing the world looks like a lost cause. The world looks like a completely lost cause where we just, people have done this throughout history where they're like, let's huddle into our group, stay inside here where everybody is on the same page. The rest of the world is a lost cause. There's no hope for them. There, there's nothing that can change. But instead, Jesus flips it. He admonishes and challenges the people that are in the group that have already had the opportunity to hear the message, that have had the opportunity to grow up in it, that have had the opportunity to put their faith in God. And he says, you need to be challenged. You need to be pushed. But those outside, 
They're not there yet. But there's something working. There's something brewing. I don't think it ever ends well. If we live in a world where we admonish the whole world and say the whole world is going to hell in a handbasket and we're just not going to associate with anybody out there. We're not going to like, we, we don't believe there could be, ever be any kind of change. We just like throw them all away and there's just no hope for them whatsoever. It doesn't, it doesn't go well. And you're missing something about the heart of God. Jesus admires what is going on in people's hearts and lives. If you truly embrace the core message of Jesus, go be sent into the world to make disciples. And how do you do it? You love God passionately with all your heart, and you love other people. You have to, you have to in many ways, have a perspective where you're growing more and more and more in love with, with others. There's something you're admiring more and more. You're, you're looking and hoping and praying for something that maybe is dug down deep behind, the, behind the, uh, all the rough edges where someone is creating the image of God and maybe there's something at work already. It is not our job. It is not our job to be the ultimate judge of others. And in, in many ways, as we look at the example of Jesus, what we need to do for ourselves is look at ourselves first. Look at ourselves first and be gracious towards the world. To admonish ourselves first, look at the areas in our life where we're still far from God. Repent. Say, God, help me. God, help me to be better. And look at others with admiration. God is at work. God created people for purpose and reason. Believe that God can do a transforming work in the, in the most difficult person. Is there any hope whatsoever that you could have influence on somebody that you don't really like? Any hope? Any hope of that at all? Look at somebody and say, I just don't want to be around you, don't like you. Is, that, is there any chance that you can make a disciple or could, you could share the love of Jesus with somebody you don't even like? I don't think so. I don't think that works. Ask, admire, and next week we'll talk about admit. But what I want you to do right now is first of all just believe. Believe the truth. That God can change anyone. Believe the truth that God is already at work. That there's people all around you that maybe they're, maybe they're closer than you think. That they are out there searching and seeking and trying to figure it out. And maybe if they ever saw an authentic example of someone that's heart was transformed by God, maybe then they would believe. Maybe they would. Maybe they have all kinds of misconceptions about people who are Christians. And they saw an authentic example of the real deal. Maybe then they would, they would believe. 
Will you pray with me? God, I believe there's people all around us that you're at work in their life. That you've been doing something in their heart and they're looking around and maybe they're confused or maybe they're not sure what to do with it, but they, they're seeking. They have everything except a relationship with you. And God, I pray that maybe we could partner with you. And we can be an example of what that relationship looks like. So God, once again, as we've been challenged and been thinking about, I pray that we would start praying. That we pray that we could partner with what you're already doing. Because God, you haven't given up on anybody. Because God, you love all people. You want everyone to find forgiveness, to have a relationship with you. God, we pray for those people in our life. We pray, God, that there would be a genuine love that grows in our heart for others. Because we recognize we're all, we're all in the same boat. We're people who have sinned against you. We're people who are faulted and flawed that need a Savior. Help us to look at others. Through your eyes, God. With love in our heart. Hear our prayers, God. Amen. I do believe that there's people out there that are close to a relationship with God... They just, they have everything except a relationship. And you could be that person that bridges that gap. A relationship with you could change their perspective. Open your heart, open your life. Pray for people. Start being somebody that says, God, I admire your creation and I want to be a part of the solution.